Hi, welcome to Narrowverse, a podcast hosted by Carolina and Clara, where we discuss all matters from neuroscience to philosophy and beyond. Today's episode is on AWIS, which is the Association for Women in Science, and we are joined by the CEO, Meredith Gibson. Welcome to the podcast, Meredith. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining us today. Um, we're really excited for this episode where we will be talking about women in science and um, perfect timing as we've just celebrated International Day of Women and Girls in Science mm -hmm. and International Women's Day is also coming up. Yes. Why don't we get started by uh, perhaps you telling us a little bit how you got to this position and why equality for women in science and advocating um, women in science is such an important thing to you, Meredith? Sure. So the Association for Women in Science, AOS, has been fa was founded over 50 years ago to help ensure gender equality across all scientific fields and with within all scientific workforces. And I have had the privilege of selecting nonprofit work as my professional experience. Originally after university, I spent a year in a corporate location and I thought, I'm not sure that I'm affecting society in the way that I would like. And I was, I started at AWIS about 15 years ago and it was really important for me to choose the mission of supporting women scientists for a very personal reason. Um, unfortunately, when I was young, one of my very good friends uh, passed away from cancer. But before she passed away, she had about five really positive years of life. And that, uh, the fact that it was, her life was extended and she became my friend and my world experience was improved by having that friendship was due to the scientists who had found cures, who had made chemotherapy a possibility, who were able to provide that to her and to her family and to her friends and to her community. So when I began a job search and was able to find an association that supported physicians and scientists and everyone who works within the STEM fields, I thought this is a place where I want to give my resources and my talents and my experiences to make their lives and their careers more successful and more impactful because the ripple effects of coming together can affect so many people and in such beneficial ways. So the gifts that scientists give us as a society are immense and I'm really proud to be able to help women scientists be successful in their fields so we can all have a better society through their work. That's really well said and of, of course really nice to hear as scientists it's always nice to have a reminder of what we're striving towards and also women in science ourselves. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what exactly AWIS does? AWIS is an association made up of about 5,000 members. And what we do is we connect women scientists to each other through networking, through professional development, through community. Sometimes you uh, scientists might feel that 
they are a little bit alone in their profession if there aren't very many women or they're in an area of science where there are uh, groups that are marginalized or historically underrepresented. So we provide a community so you can talk to other people who might be in your same field, but in a different workforce area. And you can network with them, learn from their experiences, not feel alone and sort of increase your sense of belonging. We have chapters in the United States. Most of our content is digital. So we do have some members who are international who download our materials, but our goal is to provide a sense of a community for women scientists and non-binary scientists to share their experience and multiply their effectiveness by learning from each other. That's on the individual level. We also work organizationally and systemically to improve the policies that affect women scientists and non-binary scientists, and actually also affect men who are scientists. Because as we make, for example, caregiving a more understood part of a person's life and work experience, policies may change towards that. And both women, men, and non-binary people will be able to benefit from having an employer who might be a little bit more flexible if they need to care for their elder parent, for example. I'm also aware that AWIS provides uh, scholarships. Is uh, Could you tell us a bit more about that perhaps? Absolutely. AWIS provides scholarships. We have a variety of scholarship categories. Uh, doctoral scholarship is available. There's a scholarship for university students, um, undergraduates, there is a scholarship available for people who are women who are returning to the workforce after being out for any reason, but for frequently uh, the people who have applied have been out for caregiving reasons and are working to reenter the workforce. And there is also a scholarship available for people who are studying physics. And that is all the information is on our website, www.awis.org. Amazing. Um, you mentioned that caregiving is frequently one of the largest groups of people that need a scholarship then to go back into the workforce. And both Clara and I saw this documentary picture of a scientist, and they do talk about how there's a really big stigma with um, taking parental leave to take care of the children, so much so that there was kind of this phrase that if you, like no woman has gotten tenure if she takes parental leave. And I think that's an insane amount of pressure to put on women. It, it absolutely is. That is a wonderful film that really encapsulates a lot of the story and is a great introduction, especially if people have not been aware of some of the issues that scientists face. I, the other difficulty about our field is sometimes when you've left it, the scientific field and the technology fields can change very quickly. And a person might feel that they don't have the skills to re-enter. And that's one of the things that we are hoping to support people with through our scholarship. Last year, one of the winners um, took the scholarship funds and became a student at uh, coding boot camp. So they felt like they were sort of refreshed and able to move into a new field with, with skills that change rapidly. Yeah, I also wanted to just comment on the documentary Picture a Scientist because I did find it really informative. And even as somebody who literally witnesses 
women in science on a daily basis, I wasn't aware of a lot of the things that they talked about, including, well, most notably, they described how harassment and sexual harassment is much more variable than we would initially think. So it doesn't only include physical harassment, but it can also be verbal or psychological. And I think these type these forms of harassment are actually much more common. Um, would you like to say anything about how is the best approach to to fight harassment in the workplace? Or is it important or is it more important to just raise awareness of this? Oh, gosh, um, I would love to say something about this. That is one of the really interesting points, I think, that is made about harassment and part of the educational process we are on as a, a general world society is that it is not... You know, Harassment can occur uh, in a sexual nature, but also in sort of a, a big, surprising, shocking nature. But there's an incredible insidious amount of harassment or microaggressions that pile up and they're a small piece of sand until it's too much for a person to work in that scenario and in that environment anymore. So there are different ways to combat it. I think talking about it is important. I think identifying language and providing education to people uh, is very important, sort of normalizing and instructing folks to provide perspective about another person's experience that they may not have had. Um, as a leader, one of the things I think about frequently is to use your power to decrease harm to others. It would be wonderful if we could all snap our fingers and fix it. But the initial thing you can do is think about what power do I have and how do I use that to help someone else? Is that saying, oh, excuse me, colleague so-and-so hadn't finished her thought, please let them continue because I have more of a sort of hosting um, leadership uh, agenda if I'm running a meeting. Right. So I ensure that there's con a space for conversation for others, noticing what happens around you in different groups. Are there people who would like to participate but haven't had a chance or the door open or even um, sometimes just speak? I speak with members of my staff and groups that I'm in quietly and personally. I noticed you didn't speak in this meeting. Would you like to share some ideas in a different way? Some people like to share during writing. One of the things that I think is important when you think about the role you're playing in a group is to realize that it's nice to treat people how you would like to be treated, but it is more important to treat them how they would like to be treated. And just because it is your assumption of the proper way to treat a person, that may not align with how they prefer. And asking is always the best um, way to go about finding that out. And sometimes I make sure to ask privately to ensure that people have space to consider it and um, give me an answer as they're comfortable. That's such incredible leadership. It would be amazing if more people in positions of power had that self-awareness and what you said I think is so true in terms of yes it's amazing to treat people how you would want to be treated but most importantly how they would want to be treated um 
I think it's also a great demonstration that supporting women in science isn't only about supporting women in science, but as you said, just building a better, stronger community and a more inclusive workspace, because a lot about, also we were talking about caregiving and yes, um, this relates to women in science because women are more likely to be caregivers. Um, 57 to 81% of unpaid caregivers are women. And I found a study that showed 43% of women leave full-time STEM employment after birth or adoption of their first child. And another showed as well that 44% of mothers have their competence questioned versus just 13% of fathers. So yes, women are more likely to be caregivers and more likely to be negatively affected by these responsibilities, but this also applies to anybody who's a caregiver. And with harassment, it also applies to people who are harassed and microaggressions, it applies to people who are harassed and based on race and not only gender. Um, related to creating an inclusive work environment. So in the documentary, they highlighted how we have been making a lot of effort to drive, to encourage women to go into science. And this works really well nowadays on a foundational level. So in undergrads, we have even been reaching classes that is 50-50%. And then slowly, as you climb up the ivory tower, it's less and less. And they realize that primarily this leaking is due to the fact that sexual harassment or any other type of harassment and microaggressions are at play. And um, they documented stories of women that did indeed stop because funding ran out due to the person in authority that didn't simply like them or in other cases of harassment. Uh, they documented that it was sad that they felt the need to leave due to this unfair system as opposed to leaving on their own terms. Yeah, we put in a lot of effort to uh, encourage women to go into science, but I think we do also need to put a lot of effort at looking at what the systemic problems are that are causing women to leave science. Yeah, and encouraging them to stay. It's really fascinating information. Recently, within the United States, in some of our larger cities, uh, women are being hired in, depending on the field within the STEM network, women are being hired at parity and that their pay is being hired at parity to a male colleague. However, as they move through their career progression, the pay equity issue and the um, promotions issue, that gap is increased at every career step. So in some areas, you're 100%. We have made parity and sometimes even more women are graduating with graduate degrees or undergraduate degrees in STEM fields. Um, but then throughout their career arc, there is a big change. And that's what a, one of the things that AWIS really tries to address. And so we can help if you are a mid-career person, you're thinking, how do I make the step to the C-suite? Or if you're an early career scientist, how do I make that managerial step? Reaching out to a network, learning from other people's experiences, talking through the strategies of how you keep your eye on that goal or how you um, grow your skills in other areas or through volunteer work that then you can apply to your career um, progression if you don't feel like you're receiving those training opportunities at your employer. That sounds great because I think um, gaining skills is really important to enable people to be good leaders or be good in positions of more power. Um, 
And it also highlights what you said about the unconscious bias. A sad truth is that a lot of people in science don't have any training in managing teams or in leading, but they end up leading a lab because of their academic achievements. And this is applies to women and men. Um, but because of our unconscious bias as a society, I guess we assume that men are just more capable of being in these positions anyways, because of other careers and how they work and other um, fields. And that's why this, this problem has still um, surfaced in the science world because it's very obvious that as we've mentioned, there are fewer women in, um, yeah, like higher up in the hierarchy of scientific careers, but also that there are fewer women that are in charge of grant panels or, I mean, in a grant panel or an editor in a, for a journal or an editor in chief, only 8% of editors in chief are female. And so this is like a perpetuating problem, I think, that if the people high up in power are always male, then it's harder for women. Yeah. And um, related to the bias, yeah, there is unconscious bias and there's also conscious bias. And statistics show that women are less likely to be credited with authorship in a paper, which in science is crucial to progress in your career. Female first author papers are less likely to be cited, therefore are less likely to have a higher impact. And yeah, all of these things add up. And um, also in terms of not necessarily in academia, but like in terms of, for example, starting a startup, those that are led by women only received 2% of venture capital funding. Isn't that insane? Like, yeah. So <laughs> in every, everywhere you turn, women are uh, continuously being undermined, whether it's in funding, whether it's in citing, whether it's in publications, et cetera. It's so disappointing. But one of the things that I read last year from a study that came out showed that when a woman was a CEO, not just in the C-suite, but actually in the top leadership position throughout the organization, the language changed and the way that women were evaluated changed. Um, and so one of the things that AWIS wants to focus on for all of our members and for all women throughout the scientific fields are having them reach their full potential but also ensuring that that potential includes the top position in the company because it does flow outward from there to make a difference in the work experiences of all of the women within the workforce. It's interesting you talk about how women, when they are in a position of leadership, it affects the language. There was an article in The Economist that looked at countries that were female-led, such as New Zealand, Germany, Finland, Iceland, Denmark, Norway, Taiwan, and how they did much better during COVID-19. And they looked at what the difference was, and they noticed that it was primarily when people felt that the leaders had empathy for their well-being, and therefore they were then more willing to comply with their request to social distance and wear masks. And it's a bit of, they also looked at how it's a bit of a double-edged sword for women in position of leaderships in that the more empathetic approach to their leadership usually does quite well um, 
as opposed to a more abrasive approach. But then at the same time, if they're not, let's say, abrasive enough, then sometimes they get undermined. So it's a, it's a really impossible balance um, because each person will have a different perspective of what kind of leadership it should be. And there's also like that stigma either of being too feminine or not feminine enough. And yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's fascinating when as a culture, we start talking about and thinking about how do we bring our whole selves to work? How do we present ourselves in a way that is both honoring our experiences and our culture and our intellect, our curiosity, our drive? And how is that perceived by other people? And when and how does that affect the outcome of our professional life? All of those factors, I believe, fold into a corporate culture and organizational culture and should be considered, nurtured, and evaluated by strong leaders if your goal is a strong team that meets, meets the objectives. When you look at national and international leadership on the national stage, um, when you look at different leaders and how they present themselves, those can be very interesting discussions and it, I think have interesting, uh, when the research is done, have interesting uh, conclusions for people who are in leadership roles or want to step into leadership roles. One of the things that I also think is really important is that each of us have a place of leadership, even if we are at the beginning of our career or still in university or not in the workforce, how are we interacting with the people that we know? Sometimes you think, is this demoralizing? How am I going to fix the problems of the world? But if you think of your role in your community, there are people that you affect in small ways, either by giving a helping hand. Uh, I think it's just really a strong step for everyone to acknowledge that they have a role to play and not uh, to hold that close to their heart when they feel demoralized or that maybe there are larger issues here than they can personally address. Yes, and I think especially true for science because mentorship is so important. Um, ever since I was an undergraduate, it's my mentors who have motivated me to continue to pursue science. And so as we mentioned before, if your mentor is demotivating you um, and pushing you away, then it's very easy to just fall out of the, the chain. So yeah, mentorship is really important. Mm. Related to this and also related to Earlier in the conversation, you were talking about power and how it's important to be aware and create an environment that's inclusive. Uh, science is a system that is built on dependency. And, and this was pointed out in the documentary that we saw. And it's it's a breeding ground for unethical and predatory behavior. So we shouldn't just rely blindly that people will have good faith and, you know, behave in a manner of equality um clearly 
that hasn't worked as a society, there's still a lot of inequality. So there should be measures in place that prevent the system for having this dependency issue. Absolutely. And some of the changes that we're starting to see, for example, uh, in associations, there, um, it, it's always so important to win an association award, present as a national conference or an international conference for your career. There are associations now that in the application process, the questions being asked, is there a report or has there been an ethical violation um, of including harassment that uh, the committee should know about? People are being disqualified on their behavior. Uh, there are some societies that have removed awards from people who are you know, considered luminaries or were considered luminaries in their field because their scientific achievements were so strong. But now we're acknowledging and becoming aware that their personal choices have been um, damaging to others. And so they should not hold that place of respect within a community. So I think that that's one of the changes that is starting to occur. And there's, I really commend the associations and the societies that are putting those practices in place. It's so interesting you bring that up in the documentary. They highlight the fact that uh, there was this scientist who had a glacier named after them, originally Marchant Glacier after the scientist, and now it's Matatua Glacier. Um, and this was in light of the fact that he harassed several female junior staff members and co-workers that he had. And the one that the documentary focused on, she found herself isolated in Antarctica with this professor that was very much in charge of her career. And I can only imagine how terrifying that must have been. And she describes in detail um, what she went through. And I I urge everyone to go watch the docu documentary because I think it's one thing hearing the stats and one thing, oh, yes, we know there's bias. Oh, yes, yes. Um, another thing is hearing the stories and really realizing and how bad it truly is and how bad it still is. And yeah. And then when you overlay the isolation, I'm in Antarctica. Who do I call? Where is my safety? So people who do field work are in a, a whole nother category of could be in areas of concern. Yeah, definitely. And I also really appreciate that, again, the conversation has circled back to the main theme of just creating a stronger community and enforcing standards for general ethics and morals and improving the community in general and using the problems that women have faced and still continue to face today to realize what needs to change. We have to wrap up soon. Um... Would you like to say anything else, Meredith? I just really want to thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I really want to encourage everyone who uh, is listening to this podcast to look around for your community, wherever it is, to try to join one, reach out to your fellow members for the support that you can provide for them and the support that they can provide for you. I recently learned of a phrase, take care of yourself, and if you're able, take care of others. And so I think we do that at AWIS as a community, and I encourage you each to find your own community so we can make scientific achievements and we can have a better uh, world society. So thanks for this opportunity. 
Thank you so much for joining us today, Meredith. It's been a pleasure. Yes, thank you for joining us and uh, sharing the AWIS message and to keep striving for equality and research. Thank you for listening to this episode of Neuroverse. We hope you enjoyed it and be sure to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and our website. Also, it would mean a lot to us if you gave our podcast a rating or shared it with your friends, especially in light of International Women's Day in Science and International Women's Day on the 8th of March. We really want to spread the message that we communicated in this podcast and hope to bring awareness to these issues.